Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome back to the show. The Winter Olympics got underway just a few days ago in Beijing, which makes today's guest very timely. I am speaking to Amy Fuller, a former pro snowboarder who competed in two Winter Olympics herself and who's a big part of the BBC's broadcasting coverage on TV. I read Amy's book. It's called Fear Less, Live More ahead of our chat. And dealing with fear is the theme of this conversation. We talk about Amy's two Ps, preparation and perspective, her ladder of excitement and that favourite subject of mine, flow, where we are totally immersed in the moment, among many other things. So let's dive in. Here is Amy Fuller. Amy Fuller, how are you? Simon Mundy. I am... um... Very, very well, actually. Um, excited to have a little chat with you. Well, well, listen, we're going to do a deep dive and I'm thrilled to see that you've got your snowboard over your right shoulder. So you haven't completely left the sport behind. Are you still getting out there? I think that's the thing that's so special about snowboarding. It's a sport that you start purely for the love of it. It's a lifestyle. It's something that I will never leave behind me. I'm so grateful to the sport of snowboarding. So recently I've been to the snow center in Hemel Hempstead. That is about as exotic as it's been, but as soon as the Winter Olympics is over, I'm hoping to get out to the slopes myself. And we are recording this before you go and get plastered across television screens across the country at the Winter Olympics, but we will be putting this out during. How are you feeling about that? For me, this is a dream come true. I feel so lucky to have left the competitive world of snowboarding but with an intention and another interest and passion. I feel like a lot of athletes retire from competitive sport and they don't know what they want to do. I feel like I've found a new lifeline in broadcast. It's something 
that I get a kickoff, it is exciting and quite literally anything can happen. And that's the same as sport. So my attitude going into this broadcast is let me have at it and I can't wait to put my stamp on it. Fantastic attitude. And we're going to unpick apart the building blocks of your approach to things that could be scary. And live broadcasting certainly can be that. So we'll dig into that. But first things first, I wanted to touch on your background because obviously you were born in Britain, then you headed to America in your teens where you discovered your passion for snowboarding and the freedom that it afforded you. And then later you moved to Northern Ireland. What sort of perspective do you think having experienced those three cultures at formative points of your life has afforded you? I think growing up in Keston in Kent, being a typical girl next door, um, other than the fact I did motocross, gymnastics and every sport under the sun and having never moved house and skiing in my local dry slope, that was all I knew. And moving to the US really opened my eyes to the world. We had the opportunity to try new sports that you could never really fully experience in the UK. There was a mountain range an hour and a half away uh, in Pennsylvania. And I used to go with friends at school. I'd spend all week sitting in the classrooms. I remember being in, in maths, just gazing out of the windows, thinking about snowboarding. For me, it was nothing but passion. You combine motocross from the age of four to eight with the elephant of the gymnastics class, 10 to 12. You've got reading lines and transitions in a track from motocross and speed with the aggression and air awareness of gymnastics. You put that on a slope, it's a breeding ground for creativity and progression. So snowboarding came quite naturally, but it was never something I thought could or would ever be a job. So when we moved back to the UK, Northern Ireland, Belfast, started at Sullivan Upper School, um, a grammar school. So I've got my GCSEs in the US and joined the likes of Roy McElroy. He was a couple of years older than me at the time. So um, a school that was great with people following their passion in sport. Um, I never, ever imagined ever that I would even have the opportunity to snowboard regularly moving back to the UK. But I'd been noticed, I think it was a month before we moved back, but I had no idea I'd been spotted. And I started school one week in. So I've gone from living in the States. I had like Nike high tops, bright pink. My skirt was rolled up. I had no tie at a grammar school. I walked in and everyone was like, who is this chick? Totally had embraced American culture going to a Northern Irish grammar school. The contrast was quite surreal. And in that application for the school, they said, what do you want to be when you leave school? And as a joke, I put a pro snowboarder. And I got the interview to join the school purely based on that because they were intrigued. Little did I know, on my first week, I literally came home from school and had a phone call from the Roxy European team manager. And she was like, hey, we spotted you in the States. We're wondering if you want to come out to Switzerland on the 10th of October. So three weeks later, packed the bags, boom, life changed forever. Can't write it. 
when you did discover snowboarding in America, when I was reading your book, you spoke about the biggest appeal of it, which was the freedom that you experienced in it, in that you'd done all these other sports growing up and there's a certain amount of structure and conformity almost to them. Whereas obviously when it came to snowboarding, all rules were out the window. And so you could really do what you wanted. Can you just talk to me about that feeling of freedom that you really experienced and loved about it? Yeah, I think that really is what makes snowboarding special. It is a blank canvas of white snow and there is no rules and you essentially are writing your own art within the snow. So it's the fluidity in the movement and the space for creativity. And I think that's really what the mountain feeds your soul and their experiences that can be shared with others, which is why it's so special. Okay, so here's a question for you then. When, during your sporting career, or even your life, have you felt at your most happiest? You know what? That's a really good question. So I'm at my happiest when I'm surrounded by my people. Friends and family are everything to me. And my dream day is a day on the boat, wake surfing, the water is a lot softer than the snow. And you know those days where you lose track of time, where you have nowhere to be and you are totally embodied in the moment. That to me is when I'm at my happiest, when I'm not thinking about, oh, I've got to get up at six tomorrow to do this. It's when you're totally immersed in a moment and you're totally present with amazing people. That is truly what makes me happy. I'm really glad you said that because in your book, you've got a chapter on flow and flow is something I talk about a lot and it's a subject I'm very passionate about. And there's a couple of ways you describe it. You say things like your feeling of being as one with your board. You said that when you're on the slopes, I don't even realize I'm thinking. So it's that experience of, like you say, time dropping away. So when you're out snowboarding or when you were out snowboarding that experience of a flow of being lost in the moment can you recall what it's like because really you're so lost in the moment you might not even realize that you are if you know what I mean I can remember those moments so vividly there's one moment that stands out particularly because I was fully immersed in it and it's almost as if you're underwater it's like a muffle, a white noise, because you don't really hear anything else around you. And to get into that meditative state, it doesn't come easy. What you're going through, so for me, a snowboarding run becomes almost automatic. You flow fluidly through the movement that you almost forget what you're doing because you're so hyper tuned into it it's so well rehearsed that it's almost ingrained and you feel indestructible do you think it is those moments that are the real treasure in say doing a sport like snowboarding as opposed to what we believe to be the real treasure which is in winning and getting the trophies yeah i think the treasure is more than the moment you see at the top of the podium 
the treasure comes with the hard work that's done in the dark, the moments that make you, the building blocks. Each building block, each level you step up in progression, in anything in life, you are unlocking a little piece of treasure because you are growing. How would you encourage anyone to be able to find those moments of flow in their life? I'd say consistency is key and being dedicated to your craft, whatever that may be. If you invest time into something, that is where you gain and reap the rewards of being able to take it to that next level, that space where it is automatic, you feel comfortable and you are at one with whatever it is you're doing. So consistency is key in everything. Let's talk then about fear. So you define it in two ways in the book. And there's the first is that fight or flight. So a firework goes off next to me. I leap out of my seat. My whole nervous system is lit up like a Catherine wheel. So that's one type, that automatic reaction. But then the other is that psychological side. And you describe this as boiling down to one thing, a fear of the unknown. I think the fear of the unknown is, um, it can be terrifying, but it can also be really exciting. Whether it's standing up in front of a room full of people for the first time. There is an unknown fear there, but there's steps that you can put in place to make it less fearful. So for example, if you've got the, unless you can do it to yourself out loud, then of course, stepping into that room for the first time is going to be utterly terrifying. So it's about breaking down the little barriers to make that feel less unknown. But in terms of snowboarding and trying a trick you can rehearse a trick so 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 many times mentally and you can physically perform it to a certain level so for example a cab underflip I wanted to do a cab double underflip so I'm going to do the single flip so many times that it becomes boring so that fear of the unknown of going around twice over my head almost becomes excitement because I've made the level before it boring. So it's about making yourself so, so comfortable within your current realm that you're ready to take that next step into the unknown. And then that changes the narrative. It makes everything exciting. So you talked about this gradual expansion of your comfort zone. It's a a tried and tested formula, isn't it? You talked about speech giving and that you're very content to actually do your speech in the mirror. You know, a lot of people shy away from that. It's hideous though, Simon. Like when you first approach that for the first time, you feel like an absolute buffoon. But if you can't do it for yourself, how can you expect to be able to do it? in front of a room full of people. I learned the lesson the hard way. I didn't prepare the first time I ever gave my own first solo speech because that was my style when I was younger, just rock up, wing it. But actually to impress a room full of people, you need to put the prep work in and that's something I've learned and I will now approach everything in the same way and it's, To get comfortable with the uncomfortable, you have to be comfortable with yourself. So if it takes sitting on a chair, rehearsing the lines, once you've mastered that, you can do anything. 
So since that talk that you gave, you've obviously learned and embraced the importance of preparation. Now, in the book, you talk about two Ps. So preparation is one, and then the other is perspective. And I thought this was really nice when it comes to dealing with fear, because I remember doing a talk myself and feeling like it was this massive deal. And I asked someone I respected their advice, and they said, look, just see this as a small stepping stone into something in the future that you'll do much bigger. And that perspective between the talk that I was about to have to give and one that theoretically I'd be giving that would be much bigger in the future made it seem that much smaller. So that was something that worked for me. But in terms of you getting perspective as a way to diminish feelings of fear about the unexpected, for example, what would you do or encourage? Yeah, I think perspective is a phenomenal tool and something I really use now in everything I do from broadcast to surfing down the Thames on an e-foil. I think it's about finding relevance and really zooming out and really looking at how important something actually is. And I think that gives comfort because the world's a really, really big place. And I could sit, for example, I came back from North Korea having run my first ever marathon. First of all, I went to a country which there's so much secrecy. I had no phone. I left my laptop in a safe in Beijing. The whole experience was so bizarre. And we went there with the sole intention of showcasing how sport really is a global language. And that was my takeaway from the trip. Never mind the fact that I'd run a marathon. My takeaway was sport really does bring people together. So when I came back from North Korea, I had a few media interviews. And North Korea, of course, attracts its headlines for various reasons, and and rightly so. But I went into this interview. I am live on television. I see the red button recording. And um, I got absolutely grilled. So the initial reaction in my brain is going, wow, there are like hundreds of thousands of people watching this news bulletin. I am live right now. Ah, I could freak out. Or I could zoom out and look at the lady in the studio who's grilling me and just think, I'm just speaking to you. So it's about removing the layers and giving everything perspective. There might be a lot of people watching, But if I cut those people out and I forget about them and I solely focus on the discussion with who I'm speaking to, then it fires me up to think I'm just going to have a really good discussion with you, which means everybody watching is going to watch a really good interview. But I've forgotten about those people and I'm focusing purely on the conversation with the lady in front of me who's throwing me really, really tricky questions about North Korea. But I constantly revert back to the purpose of the trip, why I went, what I got out of it. And that then made me feel comfortable. So I think it's constantly about leaning on your own personal experience again and using your comfort blanket to make you feel comfortable. That's very nicely explained. And I like what you said there about that interview. And really, you were just talking to this one person. And then a layer of thought comes in saying, oh my gosh, but there are all these people watching. 
the implications therefore are X, Y, Z. And something I quite like that you wrote about, which I tend to agree with, which is a bit against the norm in some ways, is that a lot of people talk about like when negative thinking comes along, you want to turn a negative into a positive or whatever, right? Whereas you talk about just letting the thoughts pass on through. So kind of accept and not going to battle with them is something I really resonated with. Yeah, I think everybody experiences the process of negative thoughts, probably more so than positive thoughts. Let's be honest. Definitely. Negative thoughts constantly creep into our brain, but I almost see it as a filtration system. So when I am really struggling with something, so say let's use running a marathon for the first time as an example, because a lot of people can relate, or even maybe it's going for a run for the first time. First of all, there's a series of hurdles to actually getting out the door and starting the process of the run. So even right now, I know I've got an hour in between this podcast and my next interview. So there's a series of excuses already building up in my brain. So the first one is, do I actually have enough time? So, okay, I've got an hour. I do have enough time, but it's going to be tight. So I've already overcome the first hurdle. How do I make it more approachable? Okay, I kind of would would like to do a longer run today because I've had a big weekend. (laughs) So I'd feel better for doing a longer run, but I don't have time for doing a longer run. So a shorter run is better than no run. That instantly makes it more achievable. So already just in that thought process, there's been two negative things. So I've let the negative go. They've already gone. I'm going to use this right now. This is so, okay, where's my kit? Okay. Yeah. Boom. Right. We're out the door. We're running. Oh, my knee feels a little bit sore. Let it pass. The thoughts drop into my brain through one ear and I push them out the other side. So when a positive thought comes in, so now I'm running, we're outside, we're jogging, we're doing it. The positives, this is great. I am so, so grateful for my body, the ability to be able to run. It's a gift that not everybody has. That's front and center. I'm not letting that thought pass through. I'm stamping it on the middle of my forehead. Wow. Isn't the body amazing? That's what I'm focusing on. Hang on. You know what? I'm listening to some pretty good music or Simon Monday's podcast. And you know what? I'm loving it. This is cool. This is my time. I'm enjoying it. Let's stamp it there. We've got two massive positives. Oh, but my right ankle is a bit sore. I do have a bit of a gammy ankle. Oh, sit with it. Sit with it. That's not going to serve me. Let it go. Let it go. Like rinse it. Rinse it out the side. Okay, what else am I thinking about? Oh, yeah, you know what? Cup of tea afterwards. Go on, it's cold outside today. The simple pleasures you get from thinking about small things like a cup of tea, a nice coffee, or even some really good lunch. Hold on to those thoughts. There you go. You've got three positive stamps. They're front and center of your mind map. I'm holding on. And then lastly, I'm thinking about the high that I get afterwards, the sense of accomplishment. I've done it. I've done something that I was contemplating doing. I've achieved it. Let's celebrate that. So that is the mind mapping thought process that I use in everything I do. And it started with snowboarding 
I really, 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 really felt it when I was running my first marathon in North Korea when my knee felt like it was going to fall off. And I just kept holding on to the positives and I let the negatives pass through. So gratitude is obviously a really important thing for you because you were talking about even just those simple things of being able to run, being able to have a cup of tea, but then also not battling with those negative thoughts, allowing them to go in one ear and out the other, sort of pass on through. You know, you don't actually have to do much with them. Yeah, I think it's just not holding on to negative thoughts. It will not serve you. Okay, everybody has bad days. Everyone has shocking moments and life can be traumatic. But if there are things that just won't serve you, just let them go. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now you say life can be traumatic. You have a chapter called SHIT Happens. And this is something I quite enjoy as well. This idea of not really leaping to judge something as good or bad, because we don't know. And you're obviously someone who believes that things happen for a reason to a certain degree. Can you just tell the story of when you landed on your ass and broke your coccyx? Yeah, so I was in Keystone, Colorado. It was one of my first years, you know, sort of really traveling with the senior team. And I was still at a very early phase of my career. And I went out to ride with the big girls, so to speak. They were all 10 to 12 years older than me. And I thought nothing of it. And I I was in some sort of way, you know, a, a part of the gang, but I was definitely the younger one with a lot less experience. And we do something in snowboarding called a train. It's actually really dangerous. I don't know why we do it. But one person drops in, next person drops in, and we all follow each other like Skittles ping-ponging off the jumps. So there's four jumps in Keystone they all get progressively bigger. So rider one hits the first jump, the next person drops in, the next one drops in, and there are about four of us. 
And I remember not loving the shape of the jump. They're quite short tabletops, but very steep and whippy. So they really like ping you up in the air, but with a very like short and steep landing. So very little room for error. So I dropped in with the big girls, hit jump one, fine, hit jump two, just about fine. And then I sort of like had fallen behind a little bit. So I thought, oh, got got to catch up with them. So I put the foot down, essentially put the foot on the gas and I approached jump number three with just far too much speed. And I got shot into the air like I'd come out of a cannon and I was air chairing. That's what we call it in snowboarding, where your board comes above your feet, like flying through the air as if you're in, in like a chair in a kind of laying down position. It couldn't be anything worse. Once you're there, you just are stuck and you can't get out of it. So I was winding down the windows, like, ah, winding down the windows. Is, if you imagine swinging your arms around and around, trying to get my feet back under me. And there was just no, no way. I was so out of control. And uh, I landed and impaled myself on the flat. So I missed the whole landing. And it was as if you dropped me from like a one-story building, just smack onto my bottom. And, and I just remember the bones in my ass moving inside my snowboard pants. It was horrific. But the blessing in disguise with that was I hadn't had much time to do my preparation for my A-levels. It was December, so it was the first year of upper six. And I remember coming back, (laughs) kind of sitting with the thought process of having broken my ass and I spent two weeks lying on my stomach doing my coursework and the real takeaway for me was that I had hurt myself it had made me aware of injury it also made me aware of this those style of jumps which obviously took further into my career and how to approach that so to walk away still somewhat intact and to be able to finish that year at school uh, to some sort of level was also really important to me. So those were the bits I took away. And you said that it was, you took it as a sign that you just needed to to slow down more generally as well. Yeah, I think, you know, snowboarding, my career, it kind of happened all very quickly. It went from nothing to being sponsored by Roxy and eventually Red Bull and, you know, being one of the main faces on the international tour competing at X games and the world snowboard tour events. And it happened very quickly, but with very little background in the sport, I hadn't ridden the amount the other girls had. I hadn't spent the time on big jumps. I'd just never done it. I was new to the sport, but I was progressing quickly and that's when injuries happen. So I think, yeah, a real moment of perspective there. And I learned a lot from that injury. And I think every injury you have, you learn something about yourself and there's something that you then take it in, take into the next phase of your journey. When it came to moments like that or other difficult moments in your career, something that really shone through is how important your support network is to you, your family, your friends. And there was that beautiful line that your mum came out with because you were having a bit of doubts about reaching the Olympics. Uh, the Winter Olympics. And she came out with that line, you're going to the Olympics unless someone tells you otherwise. 
So there are a couple of things. First of all, the importance when it comes to dealing with fear of a support network, our ability to be vulnerable and open up. And in doing so, actually, fears can really be allayed in the sharing of that. And that's something that really came through the the, the power of a support network for, for fear. Yeah, I think that message that my mom shared with me, her thoughts on my Olympic campaign, essentially. My my mum, my dad, my brother, they are the most chilled, supportive humans ever. I feel so lucky to have grown up in a family where we were allowed to chase our dreams. There was no right right or wrong direction. It was always what made us happy. And my mum knew that I wanted to go to my first Olympics more than anything in the world. It was weird because the narrative changed. A year out from the Games, I wasn't too fast. I was chilling, you know, riding X Games, trying to be the first woman to land a double, all of which I achieved, but it created huge distraction, which meant my Olympic dreams were slipping away without me even realizing. And it got to two months before the Games and my mum, I said to my mum, do you think I should go to the, the press day for the Olympic team? She's like, yeah, why would you not? I'm so far away from qualifying. I don't know if I'm going to go. And she's like, yeah, but why would you not go? You're going unless someone tells you otherwise. And that one phrase just landed and I was like, yeah, you're right. I suppose there was an openness and vulnerability in me just saying to her, I don't don't know if I can do it. You know, it was so, that goal was so hard to reach. I was sat in 42nd and I needed to break into the top 24, which meant I needed a top 12 out of 70 girls a month before the games. And then two weeks before the games, I needed a top six or better, depending on how the rest of the field did. So it felt very, very, very far away. And she just reinstalled that belief. It's totally possible. And you did make it. And listen, before I we talk about the your second Winter Olympics, which was a bit of a different experience for you and your emotions had changed and obviously you had moved on. I want you to just talk to me about what you call the ladder of excitement. I thought this was great and really helpful. So can you just explain what it is and how anyone listening might be able to think about it and even apply it in their own life? Yeah, the ladder of excitement, if you imagine almost like the Nando's, lemon and herb, medium, spicy scale, that's kind of how I see the ladder of excitement. At the bottom you're doing what you do day to day with no enthusiasm or zest for life. It's just there. It's just easy. Levels five and six, we're operating medium. It comes to you. That's where you are. But when we're talking seven and eight, those are the levels in life where things start to get exciting, where change, personal change happens. And you operate day to day at five, six. So the minute you go seven, eight, you're in that new, exciting, but reachable territory. To progress in anything, you need to get comfortable at seven and eight. So it's like you acclimatize with different levels of operation by constantly stepping outside of your comfort zone. So if you're not feeling a bit uncomfortable day to day, not every minute of every day, but generally speaking, then you know that you're not pushing yourself quite hard enough in your view. 
100%. I think we need a balance of everything in life, but to keep life exciting and fresh and to keep evolution of progression alive in a multitude of spaces, we need to push our own progression. The only person that can drive yourself forward is you. Nobody else can do it for you. So by looking outside of your comfort zone and immersing yourself in an environment that challenges you will push you to be a better person. Right, let's talk about building up to your second Winter Olympics then. And you had this sense, didn't you, that it was getting towards the time for you to walk away. You were starting to feel fearful about the possibility of injury because clearly the tricks you're attempting to do are they can be incredibly dangerous. And you went to see a psychologist, didn't you? That was something that you hadn't done before. It was kind of out of the ordinary. And you sort of told her what, or him or her, I can't remember, what you were thinking. And I just thought that their response was fantastic in saying, look, you know, whatever you're thinking is okay. So can you just talk me through that whole experience? Yeah, it was crazy. So I had an amazing build up to my second Olympics. I'd learned so much from my flaws and innocence in approaching my first games that for the second one, I went all in. I qualified in the first season. I was in the top five in both big air and slope style. I was sat in third in big air, fifth in slope style. One of the best seasons of my life in 2017. And I was hungry and ready for the attack and knew what I wanted. But that narrative changed slightly as I became comfortable. I'd had a good season. I knew I'd qualified. So going into the Olympic season, I'd already done the graft and I was fearful of getting hurt. In fact, I was terrified. I didn't want to miss out on the second biggest opportunity of my life. And I started to lack motivation. There were moments at which I would stand at the top of a jump three months out from the Olympic Games and quite literally break down in tears. And I had a multitude of other things going on in my life at that time. I split up with my boyfriend of five years. Um, My nan was diagnosed with cancer. So my perspective was snowboarding is just not important. Everything at home was consuming me to some extent. And I, I just didn't really know what I was doing. Why was I standing at the top of a jump in Austria when my mum, who I'm super close with, and my nan are at a hospital and my nan's getting treatment? Like, I wanted to be there. I wanted to support them. Um, and then the whole boyfriend thing. And I just kind of lost my love of snowboarding. I was scared. I didn't want to get hurt. I was uninspired. And physio Allison, shout out to Ali again, said, Amy, I think you should, you know, you should go and speak to a psychologist. And I was like, yeah, I think, I think you're right. So I went to speak to this lady and I explained the situation. I said, I'm scared. I'm kind of over it. I don't know if I want to compete at this level anymore. She's like, yeah, but the Olympics is so close what is your motivation? Why are you still putting yourself through it? Why do you want to go? And my honest answer was because I want to work in broadcast after the Olympics. And 
I feel like me saying that is the wrong form of motivation. Shouldn't my motivation be, I want to win an Olympic medal? And she said, doesn't matter what your motivation is. As long as you have a motivation, it's totally possible. So that in itself was the golden nugget. She okayed what my motivation was. And I thought, right, okay then. So you're saying that can be my motivation. And it just changed my whole mindset. She said, I've, you've got two more sessions with me if you want to use them, but you are the most mentally aware athlete I've ever met. So for a start, that was a confidence boost because I could explain the narrative around my thought process, how I was feeling, and I knew what I wanted, but I just didn't know if it was okay to want something else while still going through a very physical motion of hurling myself upside down. So she confirmed that. I never spoke to her again and um, we just cracked on. (laughs) So you knew what you were feeling. You knew what your motivations were, but she basically okayed it. She made you realize it was okay to have those thoughts and have those feelings and have those motivations. Yeah, because snowboarding is a very core sport to the root. For those tuning in to the Winter Olympics coverage this year, you will see the majority of the interviews at the bottom are athletes going, yeah, but I just love snowboarding. Snowboarding's the best. Snowboarding's amazing. All of which is true. But let's not take away from the fact of how physical it is, how dangerous it is. You know, accidents do happen. It's not a matter of if, but when. These athletes are putting their bodies on the line. So let's not disrespect that. And by her okaying that my motivation was different to maybe other people's, you know, a lot of snowboarders, their motivation might be, I just want to keep snowboarding because it's so fun. Mine was not that. I had progressed mentally and moved on to something else because I had found a new passion and something I was excited about. And that's what life is about. It's about the core root of finding what inspires you. And competitive snowboarding, for me, it was no longer that. But that was okay. It's okay for that inspiration and motivation to change. So I just lent on that and I used it. I thought internally, you know, I can go to this Olympics and off the back of this, you know, it might help my chances at becoming a broadcaster. And it has. (laughs) And you've created your opportunities brilliantly on that front in terms of like doing the vlogs, your podcast, catching the attention of the people at the BBC. And so obviously you've turned it into a reality for yourself. Did it really then change how you experienced those games because you knew your motivation was different that conversation you had and having it okayed your motivation was your experience of the games itself was it a very different to the first one and b was it much easier off the back of that chat my experience going into it was totally different I went in in a really good place I was happy and I just wanted to totally embody the spirit of Team GB and the Olympics and wholeheartedly embrace that experience. And I did. I had an absolute blast. Performance-wise, it 
didn't go my way, but I wasn't attached to the outcome because I just turned the narrative around. And again, I just let the negative thoughts leave my brain. And once I had competed, I thought, how can I just totally immerse myself and in this and enjoy this experience? And I did. I loved watching and supporting the other athletes. I went on to do a multitude of vlogs, all of which went viral. I ended up vlogging for Team GB for the BBC and then got invited into the studio with Radzi and did the breakfast live hit twice. And that to me, I was just ever present and in the moment and absolutely loving every single minute of it. So I had to leave, let the negatives go. And I'd say just my approach was totally different to enjoying what the Olympics has to offer, which is two and a half weeks full of the best action-packed sport you will ever watch. Yeah. And it comes back, just to finish off, to really what I was saying or what we were saying at the start about that flow and losing yourself in the moment. And you said you were not so invested in the outcome, but were really just soaking up the experience. And as a result of that attitude, you know, had all these other things come to you and doing the stuff at the BBC and all this other stuff. And a quote that I picked out from your book said that too many people punish themselves for what should or could have been. I'm not about that. I was happy and content in myself. And that's deep down what life's about. And I think in sport, often it's so outcome orientated, but like your experience as a two-time Olympian and just trying to have as many good days as you can, enjoying the flow along the way, enjoying the camaraderie, whether it be with your family or the other people you're competing with, I think shows an, another side to sport, which is actually it's just about squeezing every last drop out of every day. 100%. It's about maximizing each and every day and finding a place in life where you're happy. If you're happy, that's what really matters. Health and happiness is everything. And without that, life's not worth living. Very true. Very true. Listen, I hope you enjoy the Winter Olympics. Can't wait to watch you in action. Uh, and it's been lovely talking to you. Congratulations on your book as well. And just thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Simon. I've loved it. You're a star. Thanks. See you, Amy. Thanks for listening to this episode with Amy Fuller. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch, drop me a message on social media at Simon Mundy or via my website, simonmundy.com. While you're there, do sign up for my weekly newsletter, Monday on a Monday, featuring a couple of the best nuggets from over three years of these conversations every week. That's it for now, though. Until next time, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off impress manicure and press-on falsies.